invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read the passage we've been preaching on for the last several weeks, the Lord's Prayer, as we saw in our confession, we're in the fifth petition. I'm also going to read the last couple of verses that tie in that situation. It'll be obvious why uh, when we read it here. So page 811 in your Bible, Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's pray and ask God to give us some insights to this this morning. Fathers, I've been praying for many, many days. I pray again this morning that the gravity of this petition, asking you to forgive our sins, would land on us, and the grace and freedom that this petition gives us would also land on us fresh. I pray that we would sit underneath the truth that our debts have been forgiven by you and then we would rise in freedom and take that grace to a hostile world. Only you can do this, Holy Spirit. We pray you would do it for the glory of Christ and the honor of God the Father. Amen. So one of the benefits that um, Mark and Luke and I have talked about in sort of this team teaching approach over the last several um, months is that it gives uh, a good gap in between sermons. And so, you know, I had an extra week or so to prepare my mind, my heart, my thoughts about, because I knew I was going to be doing this petition. I was, uh, in, our, in our preparation, I was going to do petition five, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so what I did, because I had the extended time, was I picked up a copy of Tim Keller's new book called Forgive, and I want to highly commend this to you. Uh, one, because of its good uh, theological, biblical framework for forgiveness, but also because of its very practical help in what it means to forgive others. And he, he talks about the horizontal and internal dimensions of forgiveness, and then, I mean, the vertical and internal, and then the horizontal uh, as we bend it out to others. And I'm going to hit some of that, but I'm not going to be able to get into the different nuances that affect your relationships uh, directly, and I'll explain some of that in a minute. What I want to do this morning is I want to elevate our eyes and hearts afresh to see how much we have been forgiven. Because when you contemplate that, it tenderizes your heart and softens you to bend that forgiveness out. Forgiveness is a very difficult thing to discuss. The pain in this room that has been caused by others, the injustices, the wrongs, the abuse, the hurt, make it very difficult to talk about forgiving others. How do I forgive someone who has so wounded me and so hurt me? Issues of justice, issues of revenge, issues of boundaries and trust, issues of reconciliation, issues of ongoing wounding, all make talking about forgiveness very troubling. So I've been thinking a lot about that. How do we talk about forgiveness in a way that honors what the Bible and Jesus is saying, yet understands the situation that we live in? 
in these relationships. The second thing that has happened in this space of time as I've prepared is this week in Lexington, you may have heard about this, a young man named Marcus Tompkins was, was murdered, shot 20 times on West 6th Street. Well, Marcus is one of the captains of our, one of our basketball teams that we play here on Sunday afternoons. We have 130 guys that play basketball in our gym. And Marcus is a graduate of Tate's Creek High School. His brother was murdered two years ago. And this killing of Marcus Tompkins was a revenge killing. And so I'm thinking about a hostile world that longs to be forgiven, yet is living out the wrongs and hurts and revenge and vengeance type things. And then the second thing, you may have heard about this, but over at Asbury University, as we speak, uh, a, a renewal of God's spirit on that campus is, 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 is burning. Um, Wednesday at 10 a.m., the students met for their normal chapel time, and they never left. And they're in about hour 95 or 96 right now. And I went Friday. I went because I wanted to, to be a part of God's movement there. And it's nothing showy. There are people praying. People are repenting of sin. There's young, old Different cultures, different economics gathered together asking what Second Chronicles 7 to 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And I mentioned to you that Tyann Whitworth was gonna read our passage, but her husband Mark is a vice president at Asbury and they have been up around the clock praying with students, nurturing students, feeding students, feeding faculty that have come and so pray for, pray for Mark and Tyann and the, and, and the things there. But what struck me was God is doing something in our day that we should listen to. And where we ought to go with this is a deep dive into, God, what are you doing in me that you want me to now bend out to the world? And we land here this morning in God's providence on forgiveness. Jesus is instructing us to pray, Father, forgive our sins. And you notice here he says, if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. And you might be tempted to read this passage as saying, God is withholding his forgiveness from you until you forgive others. That's not what he is saying. What he is saying is, if you really understood the forgiveness of God in your life, then you would bend that out to others. So pray, Father, forgive us our sins so that we will forgive others. But the flip side of this is very disturbing, and I have, to, I have to at least tell you this. If you are a bitter, hard, unforgiving person who is unwilling to forgive others, there's no reason for you to think that you understand the forgiveness of God. I know that's hard to hear. That may be hard to swallow, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Your ability to forgive others is directly, intrinsically tied to the forgiveness of God. And this teaching was so revolutionary and counterintuitive, even countercultural in that day and it is today. And it became sort of the hallmark of the early Christians. You can go read church history. Just read, the, read Eusebius' history of the church. And you will see story after story after story of martyr after martyr who as they're being stoned, as they're being burned, as they're being stabbed, as they're being eaten by lions, they're praying for the forgiveness of their perpetrators. Most notably in Acts, Stephen being stoned for proclaiming 
forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ is stoned to death and he prays for the forgiveness of his stoners. Where did they get this from? They got it from Jesus, who on the cross, bearing the weight of sin of the world, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So this is a very hallmark of the Christian faith. But this teaching on forgiveness is hard. It's hard for us. It's hard for the disciples. There's a, there's a, there's a story in Matthew 18. I want to recount it for you. Peter uh, and the disciples heard Jesus teaching about forgiveness. They heard him teach this prayer. They actually watched him heal lame people and then say to them, your sins are forgiven. And they watched as the Pharisees were in an uproar. Who can forgive sins except God? And here you are, a mere man, forgiving sins. And so one day Peter, who's watching all this unfold, he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we've heard you talk about forgiveness. And so I just want to ask you, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And you can kind of sense Peter's anxiety like in the Bible, seven was a number of completion. Right, So he's kind of saying, Jesus, when is my forgiveness complete? Because it's like, you know, at what point do I start taking revenge? At what point do I start intervening and, you know, give the cold shoulder and distance and harden my heart, you know? And Jesus says, Peter, I don't tell you seven times, but 70 times seven. Don't get hung up on the math. What he's saying is, Peter, over and over and over and over and over your heart is gonna to have to move towards forgiveness. And then, he t- and then he, in classic Jesus teaching, he tells a parable. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this, Peter. There was a king who had a region and he had a, a servant that was over a certain region and this servant owed the king and his re- the region owed the king a bunch of money. And the king came calling on the debt to be paid. And this man, the amount of money that this man owed was in the millions of dollars. And so most scholars say this was probably a viceroy that was over one of the king's domains. And the king was coming to ask for that money that was owed to the kingdom. And the viceroy says, there's no possible way for me to pay this astronomical debt back to you, king. And the king says, well, you deserve death or prison. And the, and the, and the viceroy pleads with the king, please forgive the debt. And the king forgives the debt. And immediately, Jesus says, that viceroy left the presence of that king and goes into his region and he finds a man who owed him a day's wage. And Jesus positioning those two amounts is very strategic. This man owed millions and millions of dollars. This guy owed a day's wage and the viceroy made that man pay his debt the guy said, I can't play, please forgive my debt, and he puts the man in prison. The word gets back to the king. King, the man that you forgave millions of dollars to has now put this man who owed pennies in jail. And this is what Jesus finishes the parable by saying, saying to the viceroy, should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see what Jesus was saying to Peter is, Peter, my charge to you to forgive 70 times seven is gonna be directly connected to you understanding the debt that I've forgiven in your life. From the smallest lie to the greatest infidelity, I'm praying that we all walk out of here today 
basking in the infinite forgiveness of God, as the great hymn says, he has come to make his mercies flow as far as the curse is found. And this forgiveness would make us the kindest, most tender-hearted people ready and willing to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. And before we dive into this, let me give you a few caveats. I'm not gonna be able to cover all the nuances and details of your specific situations and relationships that I know are very complex. What I'm asking God to do today is position our hearts in a posture of forgiveness so that in his time and in his way, forgiveness to others might be explored. Let me be clear. Biblical forgiveness is not at the expense of biblical justice. Biblical forgiveness does not take precedent over biblical protection of the oppressed. Biblical forgiveness does not lend itself to personal vengeance, harming others, or personal self-harm. This is what Keller says. You will never be able to fully forgive others for their sins against you unless you first experience God's forgiveness of your sins against him. Our guilt must be dealt with if we are to deal rightly with other people's guilt. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to receive the forgiveness of God and then to bend that forgiveness out to others? The word for forgive literally means to absorb And the reason it's put together with the word debt and trespasses is it really means to absorb the debt that someone owes. For example, if Mark comes over to my house and he's throwing the football around with Andrew and they break a lamp in my den, that $50 lamp is broken. And I can say to Mark, Mark, I forgive you for breaking my lamp. I'm still out $50 of a lamp. So I either in my forgiveness, have to absorb that debt and go buy another $50 lamp or live in the dark in my living room. Either way, because of my forgiveness, I'm absorbing that debt. Now let me say, I know I already said one hard thing, let me say another. When it comes to God, you and I are debtors to God. Every debt that you owe to God must be paid. You either pay that debt in eternal hell and destruction away from God or Jesus pays the debt for you. It's just that simple, yet it's that profound. Friend, I'm I'm here to plead with you. By faith, trust Jesus who takes your debt. You do not wanna pay for this yourself. God himself absorbs your debt. Hallelujah. What a savior. One of the first verses I memorized in my young faith at age 21, 1994, was Ephesians 4.31. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I remember thinking about this verse because I had, I had so much anger and bitterness in my heart towards lots of different things that I needed, I knew I needed my heart to be tenderized. I knew I needed to get to a place where I could forgive others. And I, and I, could, I could understand even my little faith at that age that the correlation was I had been forgiven much by God, I should pursue forgiveness. A few years later, Danielle and I spent a summer in Tokyo, Japan. And one of the great experiences amongst many that we had in Tokyo was eating a a piece of meat that's called a Kobe steak. 
If you've never had a Kobe steak, give your life savings uh, to buy one. It is, it is worth it. It just melts in your mouth. It is so tender. You chew it and it just feels so good. So we, we ate several uh, meals, Kobe steak in Japan. And then, we, and then we came back to the United States. And for some odd reason, the week we got back, we went to Ryan's Steakhouse. I don't know why. And we went and had their sirloin, which is, you know, something just north of beef jerky. It's not quite beef jerky, but it's, you know, it sits under those lamps and it's anything but tender, right? It's hard to chew. But I remember thinking about this passage in light of that. God, I want my heart to be like Kobe steak. I want it to go down easy. I want to be the kind of person that melts in your hands and in your mouth. I don't want to be hard and rubbery and chewy and defensive and blame shifting. I don't, I don't want to be that. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ tells me if I understood how much I'd been forgiven, my heart would be tender. That's what we're getting at here is forgiveness is a tenderizer. Understanding God's forgiveness. So in his book, Keller lays out four steps to horizontal forgiveness. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna leave this to the Holy Spirit for you to work out the, the community. Mark and I are willing to meet with you. The, the book you can read. What are these horizontal relationships that need uh, reconciliation and forgiveness? I'm gonna back these four things up into God and show you how this is where we start. First, the first step to forgiveness is name the wrong truthfully. Tell the truth about yourself. True repentance starts with telling the truth. Just start on your page four with the Ten Commandments. How are we doing with those? The first four are about your relationship with God. Honor God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Take his Sabbath seriously. I mean, those are tough. And my debt is already accumulating when I start looking at those. And then the next six, honor your father and your mother. Honor your marriage vows. Don't have anger in your heart. Don't covet your neighbor's gifts, cars, food, parenting, whatever. Don't lie. Wow, now my debt is astronomical. But the greater the debt, the greater the grace, right? If I withhold the truth about who I am, then I'm actually... That's the dam that keeps the grace of God away because I'm not being honest about my need for grace. Tell the truth about yourself. One of the things Danielle and I have tried to do in our own life and in our parents, we've had this conversation multiple times over the last several years, is what does it mean to really say I'm sorry? You know how it goes in your house, right? I come in and I hurt my kids' feelings because of something I did or didn't do. And they say, and I say, hey, you know, you know they say, dad, that really hurt my feelings. Or why, why were you so upset? And, and, I, and I say something like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry you got your feelings hurt. That's not repentance. Because now I've just put the onyx back on my child. If you weren't so sensitive, if you really understood my motives, if you weren't so immature, then you'd understand, no, I need to say to my child, I'm sorry, I know my words can be hurtful. I know my heart can be dark and I'm sorry that I hurt you. And then I should move one step, what else have I done? Is there anything else I can repent of? That's what, that's what it means to be truthful. It's to have a heart posture that says, I wanna tell the truth about myself. The second step, he says, is you should identify with the wrongdoer as a fellow sinner. Meaning, if Mark has sinned against me and I've sinned against Mark, then we can move towards each other because I know that we're both sinners. 
I'm not any more righteous than he is. He's not more righteous than I am. And so we move into that space of I'm, I'm telling the truth about my sin and I'm moving in as a sinner, as he is a sinner. But what do you do with God here? God's not a sinner. How does God identify with you as a sinner? This is the incarnation. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. God took on sinful flesh. And though he was tempted in every way you are, he was without sin. He understands and he overcame. We just talked about the Ten Commandments in Sunday school. All of your kids in Sunday school, all the adult Sunday school classes did the Ten Commandments. The one thing every one of those classes said, the only person who fully fulfilled the law of God was Jesus Christ. God identifies with sinners and he pays the debt that sinners deserve. Third step, release the wrongdoer by absorbing the debt. And this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes almost too good to be true. Remember in the situation when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, as he is praying and asking God to remove this cup. The scriptures tell us that he was, he was sweating and, and crying drops of blood as he prayed. Why? I got to thinking about this. If it was just my sin alone, I'm 50 years old. Last Friday, I turned 50. 50 years of my sinning was on the shoulders of Jesus. That individual debt alone would have moved him to tears. Yet it was my sin. It was your sin. It was your sin. It was your sin. It was your sin. In fact, Revelation 5 says, Worthy are you, for you were slain and purchased people for God from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Billions upon billions of debts were laid on the Son of God. That's why, that's why he was bleeding. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Why? God himself absorbed your debt. Tell the truth on yourself Identify as a sinner, release the perpetrator by absorbing the debt, and lastly, aim for reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, Colossians 1, Ephesians 2. God was reconciling the world to himself through the death of Christ. You once were afar off, but now you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Think about the stories of God, of Jesus telling us, God would leave the 99 and go find the one. Why? Because he wants you to be reconciled to him. The prodigal son goes off and he squanders his wealth in a horrific lifestyle and the father is standing there with open arms to welcome him back. This is your God. This is the God who loves you. Come back to him. He wants to be reconciled to you and he made a way for you and I to be reconciled through the absorbing of the debt on the cross of Christ. Friend, Allow yourself to meditate on and remember all that God has done for you in Christ. If you will glory in the forgiveness of God for your sins, your heart will be tender and ready to explore forgiveness of those that have sinned against you. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Christian 
knee-jerk response to being hurt was not defense, not attack, but love, grace, and forgiveness. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be exciting? All right, as we close, I wanna, I wanna as we come to the table, which is a profound um, expression this morning, I wanna, I wanna take us back to a couple of lines in your song. So if, take your order of worship and turn to page six first. This is the hymn, Come Ye Sinners. Towards the end, the, the stanza that starts with view him. Listen to this. View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground, your maker lies. On the bloody tree, behold him, sinner. Will this not suffice? Ask yourself that. This is the maker of heaven and earth, laying on the dirt he made, hanging on a tree he, did, he made for you. Is this not enough? Are you gonna continue to walk around in hardness of heart and stiff-necked self-righteousness? Are you gonna lay there and let your Savior pour out his grace on you? Sinner, will this not suffice? I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. And then as we take communion, turn over to page seven. Cassie and Stephen will sing this as you take the body and blood of Jesus. This is what they will sing. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut its glories in. When God, the mighty maker, died for his own creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. But drops of tears can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Brothers and sisters, as you come to the Lord's table this morning, I want you to come in the gravity of what this means. God absorbed your sin debt. But I want you to come to Jesus. I want you to come in freedom. I want you to come in joy. I want you to come with a strength beyond your own. Because this table says, your debt is forgiven. You are free. Now go love a world that's longing for that kind of grace. Amen? All right. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer as we come to the Lord's table on page seven. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever. Amen.